Let's all stand together at this time. We're going to be looking in uh, the book of Jude. The book of Jude this morning, we're getting a new series I call The Great Pretenders. Uh, a new series on the book of Jude. Jude 1. Uh, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. May God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> Though Jude is a very short book, don't let the length of it fool you. It is a very, very powerful book, as are all the books uh, in God's revelation to us. Uh, Jude, because perhaps of the length of his epistle, doesn't waste a lot of time telling us what he's got on his mind. He jumps immediately into the subject at hand. He says in verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jude had it on his mind to write a book about the great doctrine of salvation. It might have been, had he completed it and been inspired to write it, a companion uh, version to the book of Romans, which gives us such a masterful discussion of the great truth of salvation, the great truth of the gospel but though that was what he had on his mind, that was not what God had on his mind. And uh, so he instead uh, gave Jude the burden, the necessity, as he called it here. I found it necessary. It wasn't what I wanted to do. It is what I had to do. I found it necessary because of the compelling leadership of the Spirit of God uh, to write to you and admonish you to contend earnestly for the faith that has been once for all delivered unto the saints. You see, he saw the faith of Jesus Christ all the way back in the first century world under relentless, ruthless attack. Now it's easy to see uh, the attack against the Christian faith when he attacks by persecuting God's people. We may think that persecution has ceased. Think again. Around the world, hundreds of thousands of Christian people have lost their lives because they have stood for the faith of Jesus Christ in recent times. I'm not sure whether the uh, recent rounds, we saw a couple of them in 2017, another one in 2015 of gunmen walking into churches and and, and just beginning to shoot. I don't know if that would qualify as persecution or not. But if it's not persecution, I don't know exactly what you would call it. And if you're wondering, yes, indeed, we do have a security team and a security plan in place. And they are uh, vigilant and watching at all times. Uh, because that's the world that we live in. Persecution continues. And it's easy to recognize then that our faith is under fire when we see people being persecuted, losing their lives, tortured, losing their property, losing their families 
because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But by far and away, most fervent attack levied against the enemy uh, comes in the area not of the persecution of the faith, but in the perversion of the faith. And that was exactly what Jude was warning about here. It was not that uh, persecution was not going on in the first century. We know full well the kind of persecution they were facing. But that was not what Jude was warning them about. He was warning them about those who were carrying on a sneak attack coming in on the inside and who were changing, perverting the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though they professed to believe in Jesus, they actually were denying the truth about Jesus. Now, biblically speaking, that person who claims to be a follower of Christ, yet at the same time is denying Christ or denying the truth of Christ, that person who has turned away from the true gospel and begun to proclaim a false gospel, biblically, that's known as apostasy. The word, uh, that's a, a, a transliteration of a Greek word. The word itself is translated falling away. Its most famous passage is probably 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2. Uh, where Paul warned the church at Thessalonica that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means for that day, that is the day of Christ, shall not come except there come a falling away first. And the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Paul promised that there would be a great apostasy, a great turning away from the faith that would immediately precede the return of Jesus Christ into the world. He would link this time to a time of deception, a time when deceivers would go to work presenting themselves as spiritual leaders, but in fact they'd be carrying on a full frontal attack against the foundation of our faith, which is simply the truth and authority of Scripture. You see, when Jude calls on us to contend for the faith, he's not talking about the kind of faith the Bible mentions when it says, for by grace you are saved through faith. Uh, that's saving faith. He's not talking about the kind of faith where he says that we walk by faith and not by sight. That is that faith that trusts God, that though I can't see how that this is going to be accomplished, I can put my faith in God and I can trust Him so that I live by faith, I walk by faith, I am saved by faith. But when Jude talks about the faith, he is talking about uh, that revealed body of truth that we call the Bible or the Scriptures. Now we've grown to expect that when we send our young men and young ladies off to the universities across this country that the Bible is going to be constantly attacked. The faith in their life is going to come under fire. I find it interesting that other holy books like the Koran, for example, are not attacked with the same fervency that the Bible is. There's no question uh, about what the target is in American culture today. It is the foundation of the Christian faith, which is none other than the Word of God. We've come to expect that. We know that. What has been somewhat surprising to me uh, is to see that uh, over the last uh, few months and the last couple of years or so, uh, I, I've seen a movement that has begun 
uh, being led by some of the most popular so-called preachers in America, pastoring some of the largest churches in America uh, who are encouraging people to abandon the Bible as the foundation of our faith. I'm not making this up. Those of you who follow me on social media remember a couple of months ago when I discussed a series of messages that was preached by Andy Stanley, uh, who pastors the largest church in America today, uh, if their uh, press releases are correct. Uh, His new book is due out right now about this subject. I mean, it's coming out September. I assume it's already come out. In this message, he said this. The first century believers, not even called Christians yet, embraced what I want you to embrace And I want our children to embrace, and our grandchildren must embrace. They embrace the first century version of faith. They embrace the standalone version. I don't need a book to prop up my faith. He's talking about the Bible. I don't need you to explain creation to me to prop up my faith. The whole Noah thing, it's fascinating. I don't know, but that's not what props up my faith. Christianity, he said, can stand on its own two nail-scarred, resurrected feet. The foundation of our faith is not a book. It is an event. The Bible did not create Christianity. Christianity eventually created the Bible. And this is where we must stand in our new generation. This is where we must stand in the misinformation age. And it's not new. It is perhaps new to you and new to us. End of quoted material. I have to say that I, I never really expected such a bold attack on the Bible as the foundation of our faith to come from an evangelical pulpit. But Jude would say, Rich, I told you so. <laughs> I told you so. I told you it was coming. It was already there then. And so he calls on us down through the ages as he called on his original readers to earnestly contend for the faith. And the faith is that revealed body of truth that is given to us in the Holy Scriptures. And there's a few things that uh, Jude is going to tell us about this faith and And uh, I'm going to preach about this next week and give you some more information. I just wanted to kind of throw this out there by way of introduction of the series today. He tells us about the faith, and most obvious perhaps, that it is a finished faith. When he says that this was once for all delivered to the saints. Now it doesn't sound like that Jude thought that first century Christians had no Bible and couldn't have read it if they had it. Instead, Jude recognized that God's revelation to his people had already been established. And that therefore, he wasn't expecting any updates to it. Now, the reason that he could say that was because Jesus Christ, your Lord and mine, was able to stand before his apostles and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, Jude knew that while Jesus was here, he was the living, breathing, walking, talking embodiment of the faith. 
And that's not all. He didn't just leave it to their vague recollections or something as fickle as the minds of men. John chapter 14, verse 26, he promised them, When the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Say it again in John chapter 16 and verse 22. He said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine, the truth, and declare it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it unto you. This is exactly then what John described when he wrote the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. He was very careful to point out that this was not his. It belonged to another. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. See, John was careful to point out that this book that he was writing was not something that he just dreamed up on his own, but that Jesus Christ gave him the truth that he has recorded. He claimed it as what it is. It is then the very Word of God. When Jude tells us that the faith in has once for all been delivered unto the saints, Jude understood the authoritative revelation of God came only through Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ then delivered that revelation, the Holy Spirit moved so that Holy Spirit, holy men of God spake as they were moved. They wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. No wonder the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. It is God. Word coming to us then uh, through the Holy Spirit. Men, you see, were already at work writing false gospels and giving out false information about Jesus. They were preaching false sermons, teaching false doctrines, and they were using that to attack the faith. They were presenting what they claimed was new information. And Jude did not intend to just sit passively by and say, well, you know, they mean well. (laughs) I'm sure they're real sincere in what they believe. Well, the fact was that this was a finished faith. It was wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And it was His revelation and only His revelation that was authoritative. Once for all then, through Jesus Christ, delivered unto the saints. Then he goes on and tells us that it is a perfect faith. That is, it's without error. (laughs) Uh, Have have you ever 
said anything along the line, maybe written something down. Maybe you're not writers like me. I, I, I have. I, I've, I've written things over the years and said things and preached things. And along the way, I've had to go back and say, you know, I, I just don't believe that anymore. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't stand the test of Scripture. I had to turn away from it. Maybe something somebody taught me. And I really thought it was right for a while. It felt good. I mean, it seemed right. But over time, I realized, you know, that does not stand the test of Scripture. I had to turn away from it. And the fact is, that happens to us a lot. Uh, I remember one time I was driving across the country. I was headed over into Kentucky, and I got in a little town called Paducah. It's not really all that small, I guess. Uh, but I got turned around in Paducah, Kentucky. And I would drive and drive and drive. It didn't seem like whatever direction I was going in. It was night, of course, and... I just kept coming out on the river. I mean, it didn't seem to matter. I would go this way, and i think, well, I need to turn around. I'd, I'd, I'd be back at the river. I felt like I was going right a dozen times, but I was not. Even though it felt right, I was going the wrong way. A lot of things in life, you see, sound good, and they feel good maybe to us. And as the Bible says, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. Jude understood then that it was God's word that's perfect and trustworthy and that is without error. And it doesn't matter how good something sounds, if it's new, it's not true. We preach the old, old story, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not to say that God, the Holy Spirit, can't take something, maybe even a message that I preach, and, and you'd look in the Bible and say, man, I'd never noticed that before. That happens to me all the time. It's been there all along. I just hadn't seen it. And I look, and I check it out, and I say, yep, yep, that's there. Every now and then, I'll come up with something like that, and I think, man, I hadn't seen that before. And I'll, I'll write that stuff down and think, man, I've got some new thought. ha. <laughs> Uh, Google's a wonderful thing. I'll start Googling that thing, and lo and behold, people have been preaching that stuff for a long, long time. I didn't come up with something new. If, it, if it's new, it's not true. I might not have seen it before, but check it out. You'll find out that God's people have been studying the same book for a long, long time. And Jude wanted us to understand that. This is a truth that is once for all delivered under the saints and all these people who were coming out with all these new ideas about Jesus that were contradicting, or contradicting the things that they had already received and the things that had already been clearly established. Those things weren't true. <clears throat> now, the Bible has some very hard things to say about a lot of hot topics in our culture today. Uh, the role of men and women is very clearly defined for us in Scripture. It's not very popular, but it is what the Bible says. The sanctity of human life is clearly established for us in Scripture. The nature of marriage as being between a man and woman, husband and wife, is very clearly outlined and established for us in Scripture. The nature of human sexuality within marriage very clearly established for us in Scripture. Now the arguments, though, that we hear sometimes sound very convincing. And it's scary to me how many of these arguments 
I see on social media coming from Christian people. But doesn't a woman have the power over her own body? Don't people have a right to love whoever they want to? Why is who I love anybody else's business but mine? Why should we question anybody else's beliefs? Don't, all, don't we all just have a right to believe whatever we want to and worship God however we feel is right? You hear these arguments every day in our world. Some of them sound very, very convincing. And against all of that, folk, it's never been as unpopular Seemingly to me at least, not in my lifetime. I can't remember a time when it's ever been so unpopular to stand up and say, but the Bible says this. Just because it's unpopular doesn't mean it's needed. It is greatly needed for us as God's people to be willing to stand and say, the Bible says. That's what Jude's asking us to do. Contend for the faith. Once for all, delivered unto who? The saints. You see, the faith that Jude wants us to remember about and contend for and that he's bringing to our attention has been committed to the saints. Now, there's a very real sense in which the Bible can defend itself. It does. Always has. Mark chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The, the burn piles of a thousand generations burned up with Bibles. Have, they haven't been able to destroy the Word of God. All the people who have died and, and, and been killed because of faith, the Word of God is still there. And it's not going to be destroyed because Jesus Christ Himself promised that it would stand. It has and it will. We think, well, the Bible can defend itself. Yes, it can. It does. But that does not alleviate us from our responsibility to contend for the faith that has been entrusted to us. I've said it this way for a long time. God has children, but He has no grandchildren. And it's up to us, if you know the truth, to pass that truth along to another generation and to another. And then maybe even to another we have that responsibility as long as we live to pass along the faith that has been committed unto us. The fact that we stand before a shouting cultural mob these days, uh, ready and able uh, to marshal their forces and demonstrate their hate for the Bible, which I've kind of always found it ironic that the people who uh, supposedly shout so much about all the terrible haters in the world, obviously don't think anything wrong uh, about hating the Bible and those who love it. We see that hatred demonstrated over and over again. It just becomes our responsibility not to be shouted down, not to be pushed into a corner, but to be able to boldly and lovingly say, the Bible says. Then within that setting, and I gave you that this morning just to let you know a little bit about why 
that I'm preaching the book of Jude, primarily, of course, because the Lord led me to it. But I wanted you to understand this is not some book that is far removed from us and isolated from us and our culture. Uh, folk, Jude is in our boiler room. I mean, he is there in the midst of, of the world that you and I live in today as Christians, as citizens of this great country. We're <laughs> under attack. Our faith is under fire. And Jude says, don't let it go. Contend for it. Now it gives us some good news, and I want to spend our last few moments together this morning uh, talking about the good news that he gives us, just, just very quickly, because he, he tells us three things that we are in Jesus Christ. He said, we're bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, that's his own personal uh, ID, to those, his audience, who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Three great things about us. First of all, as God's people, he calls us the called. <laughs> the called. If you're saved today, you're saved because God called you. John chapter 6 and verse 37, Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. If you're saved, you're saved because God called you. Romans chapter 8, Paul presented what's called the golden chain of salvation. In verse 28, we know this verse well. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. There's that expression. So exactly who are the called? Well, I'm glad you asked. Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, there are five links in that chain. And it's, these links are true of every single person who has ever been saved or ever will be saved. It begins with God's foreknowledge, for whom he did foreknow. I've said this many times. Now God is never surprised by anybody's salvation. When somebody's saved, God doesn't sit up in heaven and say, well, looky there. I never would have thought it. No. Now you say, well, well, well what about those people that God knows are going to be lost? Listen, that, they're not in this passage anywhere. I do know that the Bible says that whosoever will may come. I know the Bible says that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. I find whosoever all over the Bible, because grace of God, Paul said to Titus, that, appear, that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Whosoever will. But Paul, but Paul is talking this passage about those who are God's children. Number one, they're foreknown. Number two, they're predestined. Predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. God had a purpose in saving us. He wants to make us like Jesus. Then there's the word called. <laughs> then he also called. And whom he called, he did what? Justified. Whom he justified, then he also glorified. You say, I don't understand that. Good. I don't trust people who claim to understand it all. Because to understand all of this passage, folk, we're going to have to understand the mind of God, and we can't. God's mental capacity is way, way, way beyond ours. 
But these are five things that are absolutely true about every blood-bought child of God. We are the called. How do we know it? Because we're saved. We're saved. God called us. We're saved. Then he talks about the sanctified. To those who are the called, the sanctified. I want you to see the Holman Christian translation of this verse. It's one of many that does this. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Almost all of your modern translations uh, don't have sanctified. They have loved. The reason for that is because the word that Jude uses is the famous Greek word agape or agape. Great word for love. Now there's nothing wrong with translating that as sanctified. That simply means special, set apart unto God. Adrian Rogers put it this way. He said, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will make him love you less. He doesn't love us because we're valuable. We're valuable because he loves us. He doesn't change us so he can love us. He loves us so he can change us. And I will add to this list, he doesn't love us because we're special. We are special because he loves us. We are indeed God's special people. He loves us. We are the called. We are the sanctified, the beloved. <laughs> and we are kept by Jesus Christ. Now, from time to time, we see it in movies or maybe hear it in a line or occasionally even use it ourselves. We'll talk about some guy or some girl say, he's a keeper. She's a keeper. Uh, well, let me tell you something. God looked at all of us and said, they're keepers. I'm going to keep this. Well, no calls. God loves us and he's going to keep us. But that's not even the point. The point is that since God is one who saves us, God is, must be the one who is going to keep us saved. The idea of the concept of being kept is much like a, a, a mother keeps her offspring. And the protective impulse of motherhood across uh, the creation is legendary. I was squirrel hunting down the White River Bottoms one time. I walked down through a creek, and as I walked up the other side of the bank of the creek, I, I heard something off to my right. I didn't see anything. I was trying to get to Hickory Tree and, and shoot a squirrel out of it. Uh, I was not successful. I walked back down the creek, and where I had crossed the creek, there were bear tracks going right behind me. I never saw the critter. Never saw it. They were big old paw prints. Kind of I, decided, I took my 22 and went back to the truck. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> uh, but the fact is, under most cases, you know, a bear, you'll never see them because, uh, especially in the thick woods of Arkansas, uh, they'll smell you or hear you or get wind of you or know you're there before you know they're there and they'll be gone. But you walk up on a sow with her cubs, it's a different story. Same with lions, wolves, all kinds of critters. You know that mama with her cubs, nothing to play with. So we think about the protective nature of a mother and how she is keeping her children. But even then we understand that their safety is only as strong as the one who's keeping them. They're only as safe as their keeper 
is strong. Aren't you glad that when it comes to our salvation, the Bible says we're kept by Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means we're safe. All right. If Jesus is keeping us, there's nothing the world has got to throw at us that's going to be a great threat to us. As he would say to us himself, they may kill you, but they can't hurt you. <laughs> not a hair of your head. They can take your life, he said, but not a hair of your head will perish. Jesus said that. Why? Because we are kept by the power of God. Well, the faith of Jesus Christ is under relentless attack today. And just because we don't face prison, torture, or death doesn't mean that we're not under attack. See, the most dangerous attacks come from within the perimeter. And that's exactly what Jude was warning us about. The enemy has infiltrated our ranks. He still has. Persecution has often backfired. The enemy is smart enough to know that. The more you try to kill off Christians by taking their lives, the more Christianity seems to spread. Most effective weapon is infiltration and perversion. Jude called on us then to contend for the faith. And though I've talked about the cultural aspect of this a bit this morning, make no mistake, when he calls on us to contend for the faith, this is an intensely personal battle. You see, the question for you and me is, will we continue on in the faith or will we be pushed away from it by the world? Will we continue on in the faith or will some person with an argument, a high-sounding argument, come and, and pull us away? Will we continue on in the faith or will we buy into some new guy with a new revelation telling us some new thing uh, that he's got from somewhere? Will we continue on in the faith? Will we contend for the faith? If we do, it's because we're willing to fight that battle and latch on to that old blood-stained book we call the Bible and say, I'm going to hold on to what it says. I have what it says I have. I am what it says I am. Faith in Jesus Christ. Let's stand.